Well, good morning. Well, happy uh, Super Bowl Sunday. This is probably one of the more sacred days on the calendar year for most Americans. So, uh, so I'll try and have a couple sports analogies for you today just to get you in the mood, okay? Um, personally, I'm, I'm going for the Buccaneers. Um, I know I, got, I see some Chiefs fans over here. Listen, I really don't care who wins, okay? I just think it's funny, right? You got Tom Brady, quarterback of the Buccaneers. He's like 85 years old. And he's still wrecking shop in the NFL. So I'm rooting for him. I think it's humorous. Um, but I think Kansas City's going to win. I think they're the better team. Um, none of that has nothing to do with anything, but there you go. So anyways, we're going to be in First Peter chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, we'll be in verses 1 through 10. Um, but before we even get started, let me, let me say this. Um, this is a, a monumental passage for us this morning. Um, because I think for a lot of us, like we think about deep questions, like what's my purpose? Like, why, why am I here? Like what am I supposed to do with the limited time that I have on earth? How, how do I make the most of it? And, and if you're not asking those questions, you should. Because the reality is we're just not here very long. Like life is short, it goes by fast. Uh, the other night, uh, my daughter, who's five years old, um, I went up to put her to bed, and, and she just kind of randomly told me, uh, she said, hey, Daddy, like, when you die one day, I'm going to be really sad. And, uh, and I kind of responded, I was like, well, I'm not planning on dying anytime soon. <laughs> but she had these sweet tears in her eyes, and so I wanted to address that moment. And I told her, I said, yeah, girl, like, it will be sad. But that's just kind of how life is. Like, we're, we're just not here very long. Life is short. But then I told her, I said, but that's why we have hope in Jesus. Because if we trust in him, he promises us eternal life. So we don't have to be scared of death. And then her sad tears turned into happy tears. And she said, I know, Daddy. I trust in Jesus. I said, I know you do, girl. And she gave me this big hug. And it would be easy for my wife and I in that moment, just to tell her, say, hey, girl, don't think about that stuff. Don't think about death. You don't need to think about that right now. But we're actually really happy that she's processing some of these deep questions at such a young age because it's through that processing that you'll start to understand your purpose in this life. Because life is a vapor. It's short, but it's not meaningless. And we have deep purpose in this life. And I really think this passage is going to speak to that. Because Peter is going to tell us, he's going to tell the church, the reason that you're alive on this planet is because you are a chosen people. You've been marked by God for his glory and his purposes. And his purpose for you during this short time on earth is that you would come to know Jesus. And not that you just come to know him, but that you would grow and become more like him. And you do that by studying his word and surrounding yourself with others who are doing the same. And as you study his word in community, and as you seek out to live that which you're learning, you'll become a living testimony to the lost world. And you'll show everybody what grace and mercy through Jesus Christ looks like. That's your purpose. That's my purpose. And that's what we're going to expound on as we study this passage today. Uh, but before we dive into verse 1, um, I would love just to invite you, wherever you're at, whether you're here at the 410 campus, whether you're online, 
just to come before the Lord. And, and I want you just to prayerfully and silently ask him, say, God, would you teach me what my purpose is again through your word? And so just take a moment to do that. And if you would, I'd, I'd love your prayers as well. Just ask that God would use me, that he would speak clearly through me. If you do that right now, that'd be great. Well, God, we love you. We trust you. And we ask that you would please speak to us right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, it says this in verses 1 through 3, if you want to follow along. Verse 1, Peter says, Therefore... Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. All right, let's talk about these verses. Um, I'm going to spend most of my time in verses 1 through 3 because I really believe um, that in these verses, this is kind of the main thrust of the text. Okay, I think this is Peter's main point. And he starts off the passage with therefore, meaning that you, you're not going to understand uh, Peter's main point unless you understand what he has already said in the letter. And so if you go back a few verses and you go back into chapter one, you'll see that, that Peter is encouraging believers who are going through persecution and he's encouraging them to, to consider the nature of their salvation as well as to live out their salvation by having a sincere love for the brethren. That's chapter 1, verse 22, which I find interesting because in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hard times, what Peter encourages believers to do, he says, love one another. Um, and so I think the question is like, well, why would he feel the need to do that? Well, uh, I think Peter knew that during troubling times, pressure builds. And when pressure builds, anxiety increases. And when anxiety increases, you're going to be tempted of one of two things. Two things that we need to be really careful of. Number one is isolation. And number two is division. For some of us, when pressure builds, what we're going to be tempted to do is we're going to be tempted to withdraw from the Christian community. Because anxiety will make us feel weak. And what the evil one wants you to do is he'll start to say lies to you. And he say, hey, if you start experiencing anxiety, other people in the church are going to judge you. So withdraw. Or he'll tell you, hey, they don't really care about what you're going through. So withdraw. Or he'll tell you, hey, listen, because of your anxiety, there's nothing you can offer the church. So withdraw. That's typically what the evil one will do. But Peter strikes that down. He says, no, 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 in the midst of troubling times, what you need more than anything else is community. You need people. You need the church. And so he encourages believers. He says, live out your salvation by loving each other with a sincere love. And he's going to play that out even more in verses 4 through 8, which we'll get to. So isolation is going to be a temptation for a lot of us. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to confess that and admit that to other people who can check in and hold us accountable so that we don't do that. But for others of us, what we're going to be tempted to do when pressure builds, when anxiety increases, 
is we are going to be tempted to tear down those we are in community with. Let me say that again. During times of heightened anxiety, what some of us are going to be tempted of is we are going to lash out at others, people we love and people within the church. Look at the words that Peter uses in verse 1. He says, rid yourself of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Okay, Peter knows that in the midst of hard times, what the people of God would be tempted to give into were these things. All of these words have to do with sins and attitudes towards one another. Malice has to do with desiring someone else's harm. Deceit means to deliberately mislead somebody. Hypocrisy is the act of hiding one's evil intention. Envy has to do with feeling resentful towards somebody else's status, possessions, or lot in life. Slander pertains to the way you talk about someone, whether whether passively or aggressively, through your words, you seek to tear down the other person's reputation. And Peter tells these believers, he says, stop it. Stop it. You can't do that. That's not going to get you what you want. That's not how you deal with pain. That's not how you handle anxiety. That's not how you cope with insecurity. Church, this is such a timely reminder for us right now. The church is being attacked. These are confusing, tumultuous times. Pressure is high. Anxiety is rising. And what we're seeing in the church all over the world is believers in Christ are turning on one another. According to Pew Research, recently they did a a survey and came to find out that over one-third of Americans would say, that they've experienced high levels of psychological distress because of fears of COVID, social distancing, and quarantines. And that's just the people who admitted it, probably a lot higher. Many researchers are saying that the United States hasn't been this divided politically since the Civil War. And we're seeing this. I'm talking to families that are being split apart because of political difference of opinions. And we're seeing the same thing in the church across the globe. Which is why Jesus prays in John 17. He says, Father, let your church be united. Keep them together. Help them to hold fast to the unity that they have through me. And that's a prayer that we need to continue to pray today. Um, Back when I was a coach, one of the things I loved about coaching football is we had kids from every type of background on the team. Like dudes that outside of football, they probably wouldn't have hung out ever. Like we had white kids, We had Hispanic kids, we had African-American kids all on the same team. Some kids came from liberal families, others came from conservative families. Some kids had two parents, others had one. Some of our kids came from rich families, some came from poverty. There are kids on our team that grew up in the States, there are other kids that fled from the border. They all listened to different music, they all looked different, they came from different families, they had different political affiliations, different backgrounds, different opinions, but when they put that uniform on... They're the same team, same team. They came together. They put their differences aside and they strove after the same goal. They had to learn how to, how to trust one another, how to fight for one another. They had to realize that they were actually stronger together than they were apart. They had to learn to appreciate each other's differences, their unique talents, their roles. 
And then they had to see how these differences actually made them more effective collectively as a group. Good heavens, if a middle school football team can figure that out, the church should a million times more. (laughs) We ain't all the same. We vote differently from one another. We are raised differently. We have different gifts, different preferences, different backgrounds, different roles, but we wear the same uniform. We're the church. And as Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says there's one body. There's one spirit. There's one hope, one faith. We're the church. We gotta stick together. We got to, been called by God to do it. And we can't succeed if we're not loving each other well. And so Peter tells us, if we're harboring sinful attitudes towards one another, he says, get rid of it. In the Greek, the term here means to lay aside, literally to take off a garment. Peter says, you need to change clothes. Get your uniform back on and love your teammate. Uh, I've been working through a Bible study by Jen Wilkin over 1 Peter. And she says this about these verses. She says, as you observe these sinful attitudes and actions that Peter describes, which ones are you prone to give into during times of anxiety? She says, which ones do you need to put away? And she encourages readers to think about a specific relationship that's in their life that could improve if you would intentionally try to put these away. And one helpful activity that she encourages And she says, go through all of these um, words in verse one and think through the antonyms of each of them. And then make that your prayer as you seek to restore a broken relationship. So instead of malice, we choose friendliness. Instead of deceit and hypocrisy, we choose honesty and genuineness. Instead of envy, we choose support and celebration of others. Instead of slander, we choose to encourage. And as we think about those people who have a hard time loving in the church, we make this our prayer. We make this our pursuit. God, help me to be the opposite of verse one. But notice, Peter then uses some imagery in these verses. He says, as newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. This is the only time Peter uses an imperative command in this text. He says, long for, crave, desire, be obsessed with the pure milk of the word. It's the same word in the Hebrew that's used in Psalm 42, verse one, where the psalmist says, as the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul pants for you, O God. That's what Peter's getting at. He says, if you wanna grow, if you wanna get rid of these sinful desires, then pant, long for the word of God. Crave it just as a newborn longs for milk. Um, I remember before our first child, uh, my wife and I went to a breastfeeding class. Um, I did not want to go. I I felt pretty awkward about it. Um, But this is one of those moments where I was like, hey, I'm going to love my pregnant wife and I'm going to earn some brownie points. So I went. And uh, and I remember the instructor got up there and started talking about the benefits of nursing. And she talked about how if a mother's baby is sick, as the baby nurses, the mom's body will recognize what the needed antibodies are and then she will naturally produce those needed antibodies that will go out through her milk in order to strengthen the child. And I remember I heard that. I, I almost stood up in the breastfeeding class and put my hands in the air and said, God, yes, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> okay? 
Um, but I didn't want to freak people out, so I didn't. I just did it in my mind. But it's amazing, and, and I would say this. I, I point out that illustration because I think the same thing happens when we abide in God's word. If you are reading it right, it will naturally convict you of sin. It will show you areas where you're weak, and then it will strengthen you as you abide by it. That's what happens when you abide in God's word. And I think the point that Peter's trying to make is really simple. He says babies crave milk. They're obsessed with milk. They don't care about anything else. They don't care about what clothes they're wearing. They don't even care if they're wearing clothes. They don't care what color their room looks like. Mom and dad do. They don't. Okay? All they care about is milk. And if you don't get them milk, they will go absolutely insane. And the crazy thing is, for like six months, that's all they need. They eat milk for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then they have 25 snacks in between. Okay? And, and what's incredible is, is that's all they need in order to grow and be satisfied. It's unbelievable. That's what Peter's getting at. He says, the word of God is to you the same as milk is to a newborn baby. It's all you need for godly living. And that's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. That's how growth happens. It's through consuming and dwelling upon the word of God. Too many people think that God isn't speaking to them while their Bible collects dust on the bookshelf. Listen, if you want to know God, if you want him to speak to you, if you want to feel closer to him, then you got to get in his word. Study it deeply and then obey it. There are too many Christians out there that come to know Christ, they trust in him for the salvation of their sins. They've got their ticket to heaven and then that's all they care about. They're not focused on growing in godliness. Church, want to know your purpose in life? It's to grow. That's God's will for your life. No matter what season of life that you're in, God's will for you is that you would grow and mature and become more like Jesus. But that is impossible apart from the word of God. It's impossible. Uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I was struggling. My, my thought life wasn't healthy, uh, which is going to happen from time to time because I'm human. Being a pastor, I'm no different than you. Um, I'm going to struggle at times because I'm broken, just like you are. And this was one of those times. I was struggling. I was feeling attacked. I was believing lies. I mean, all the stuff that all of you know all too well. And the hard part about being a pastor is you can teach God's word and still not long for God's word. But you'll only be able to get by for a while. Because you can only fake godliness for so long. Eventually, it's going to catch up with you. The same is true for me, and the same is true for you. And I remember a couple weeks ago, I sat down with the Lord, pen and journal in hand, Bible open, no sermon prep, no teaching on my mind, just me and God. And I felt like the Lord gave me a word, and he said, finally, Finally, you made time for me. And I wept as a journal and I confessed my sin and I pleaded for God's grace and I longed for his word. Busyness will stunt spiritual growth. 
Some of you are so busy, you're too busy. And it's not that you don't have time to get into God's word, you just don't prioritize the time. And as your pastor, let me lovingly remind you, there is no growth apart from God's word. You will not become more like Christ magically apart from God's word. You will not grow if your Bible is collecting dust on the bookshelf. So let me lovingly encourage you, take that Bible off, wipe the dust off, get in it and walk through it slowly and let it speak to you. Cry over your sin and then repent and taste grace again because there is always, always grace. And that's what Peter encourages these believers to do. He says, long for the word and taste again the kindness of the Lord, which you've tasted before. And then he says this in verse four, let's read. And coming to him, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by people, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for unbelievers, a stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And this they were also appointed. All right, there's a lot going on here. And I'm not gonna touch on everything. Okay, uh, this section of scripture actually has more Old Testament references all in one place than anywhere else in the New Testament. Do an in-depth study sometime. Um, it's really neat. But there are a couple key phrases that I want to touch on real quick. He starts off by saying that there's this living stone, which is an oxymoron because stones aren't alive, that was rejected by people, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Okay, this is clearly a, a reference to Jesus. Okay, Peter is using Old Testament references here, namely Isaiah 26, 18 and Psalm 118, 22, in order to point out that Jesus is the living stone. Jesus was chosen by God. He is the means to salvation, but he was rejected. That's why Jesus was crucified. He wasn't what people were expecting. He wasn't the savior that they wanted, so he causes them to stumble. But he is the living stone because Jesus didn't just stay dead. He rose from the dead, he's alive. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. And even now he is ruling, he is active. And even as I speak, he is doing things and he's making things happen. And one of the things that he is actively doing is Jesus is building up his church with living stones. He is taking dead people, people who had no hope, people who are heading towards destruction, and he is making them alive again by his grace. That's the church. So follow Peter's flow of thought here. He says, this is your purpose in life. He says, get rid of sin. Starve the things that hurt your faith and consume the things that grow your faith. We do that by longing for the word of God. That's verses one through three. But we see here in verses four through eight that this is not supposed to happen in isolation, but through community, through community. 
And this is an idea that's woven all throughout Scripture. Our design and our purpose in this life is found and formed through the Word of God, but through a family of believers. And as we grow in Christ, we are to be connected to other believers who are doing the same. Growth cannot happen apart from community. Um, I've met a bunch of people, and I'm sure you have too. Uh, these people love Jesus, right? Jesus is their boy. They go running with Jesus, right? They love Jesus. Um, but they do not like the church. They're like, you know, the church is full of hypocrites. So I'm cool with Jesus, but I'm not about the church. Let me ask you all a question. How many husbands would be cool with you if you just openly despised their wife? And you're like, hey, like you're cool, man. Would love to hang out with you, all about you, but that girl of yours, she's got some issues, okay? She's broken. I don't want to be around her. Don't bring her around. How do you think most husbands, if they're good, how are they going to respond? They're going to be like, get out of here, dude. Get out of here. I love my wife. We're one team. We're one flesh. If you want to love me, then you got to love her. It's interesting as you study the scriptures, you'll see that God refers to Jesus as the groom. And he refers to the church as his bride. And Jesus is crazy about his bride. He loves her, her flaws and everything. He loves her so much he died for her. Not because she deserved it, but because, man, he's obsessed with her, loves her. You want to love Jesus? You got to love his church. Now, listen, I know like, the church is messy. Okay, Church is messy. We got a lot of broken people in the church. Your pastor's one of them. And dealing with broken people is challenging. It's emotionally exhausting. But it's also how you will grow in Christ-likeness. Because as you learn how to love broken people, your heart will get bigger. You'll become more patient. You'll grow in humility. You'll become more like Christ. That's how God has designed it. Listen, we, we don't want you to dive into community here at Wayside just so we can pump the brand of Wayside. That's not what this is about. We want you to dive into community here at Wayside because we firmly believe the scriptures say there is no growth apart from community. That that's how you're going to find your purpose. Your identity is found in the church. And so let me plead with you as your pastor. If you got beef with that, it's not beef with me. That's beef with God. Because that's how he's designed it. And I realize some of you, like you've tried to get plugged in before. The church has burned you. I realize we all come with baggage. But there is no growth apart from his word and apart from community. So let me beg you. Let me plead with you to give it another shot. To dive in to join a Sunday study, to get in a life group. If you're a guy, consider going to the men's summit, but dive in because your purpose in this life is found in the community of faith, the church. And, and as you dive into the church, as you dive into community, you'll see that God has designed us to be interconnected. We have different gifts, different abilities, different roles that are supposed to be used for each other's benefit and God's glory. Okay, but I want you to notice in the text, let's go back to it, that the living stone, Jesus, is the cornerstone of the spiritual building, the church that you and I are a part of. Um, my dad, my granddad, my brother, uh, they're all in the home building business. I kind of went a different route. Um, I'm in the home building business as well, just the spiritual home building business, okay? 
Um, but I've seen a lot of houses built in my day. And the way that we build buildings now is a lot different than how they built buildings in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, what they would do is they would take this big stone, the cornerstone, they would lay that down first. And then every other stone that was laid down would lean on this cornerstone. So if you took out the cornerstone, the whole building would crumble. Okay? That's what Peter is getting at. He says, this spiritual community of faith, the church, is built upon Jesus. We don't just come together to fellowship and hang out and just kick back. No, we come together in order to become more like Christ. Right? He's the cornerstone. He's the reason why we do what we do. And the reality is, we all build our life on something. Every single one of us. We build our life on something. For some of you, you build your life on wealth. Everything's about that next paycheck. It's about building more stock. It's that money, which isn't bad, but in and of itself, it will crumble. For others of you, it's your kids. You love your kids, but man, they're the center of your universe. They're your everything. And kids aren't bad. They're beautiful. But they can't hold the weight of your significance. For others, it's your spouse. You want your spouse to be your everything. And you put so much pressure on them for your worth. Your spouse ain't your savior. If you do that, your marriage will crumble. For others, it's your career. Like if it's that next promotion, I just got to keep going. Because that's where your identity comes from. And let me tell you, any of those things, in and of themselves, they cannot bear the weight of your significance and worth. There is only one stone that was meant to carry that weight, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Are you looking for more purpose in this life? Are you searching for more significance, more passion in in day-to-day activities? Then surrender everything to Jesus. Consume his word, dwell on it, and abide by it. Well, in a minute, we're going to come to the communion table. But before we do that, I want to read verses 9 and 10. In order to prepare our hearts for the elements that we're going to receive, it says this in verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Look at verse 10 again. Peter says, for you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. He says, you used to have no mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is quoting directly from Hosea here. Uh, If you don't know the story of Hosea, basically, uh, God tells the prophet Hosea, he says, I'm going to use you in order to teach my people what their relationship with me looks like. And so he tells Hosea, he says, I want you to go marry a prostitute by the name of Gomer. He says, you're going to pursue her, you're going to love her, you're going to become one flesh with her. So he does. He goes out, he takes this broken, adulterous, unfaithful woman as his wife. And then if you keep reading in Hosea, you'll see that after they got married, she runs away. She runs away from Hosea. She goes right back into prostitution. She starts sleeping with other men again. And it gets so bad that she becomes the property of another man. And, Hosea te- and God tells Hosea, he says, Hosea, I want you to go to the slave auction. 
want you to bring everything you have and I want you to buy her back. That unfaithful woman who keeps running from you, you pursue her, you chase her, you show love to her. And so that's what he does. And then God tells his people, he says, all of you are like Gomer. You run and you keep going back to things that degrade you and use you and spit you out. Things that don't give you the worth that you deserve. And you know what God does? He chases. We run and he chases. He pursues us just like Hosea pursued Gomer. That's our God. That's who he is. He's an incredible God of grace. And then there's this beautiful prophecy in Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, where the Lord says, I will also have compassion on her whom had no compassion. And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people and they will respond and you are my God. And what Peter tells us, he says that prophecy has been fulfilled. The church is a testament to that reality and because of Christ, we're now a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, only the priest could come into the presence of God. But what Peter says now, because of Christ and because of his grace, we all have that privilege because our God is a God of grace and now our purpose in this life is to proclaim that from the rooftops to tell everybody I was once in darkness but God called me out and he put me in his marvelous light I once had no mercy but I now have mercy because of God I once had no people but now I have a people that's our faith that's who our God is Is the church full of hypocrites? Sure. We're all broken. But that's the beauty of Christianity. It's not about perfect people. It's about broken people who trust in a perfect God. Okay? So we're going to ponder upon that now as we come to the communion table. Uh, If you're watching online, if you don't have your elements, go ahead and grab some crackers, some juice, whatever you got laying around, and then come back and join us. And then for those of you in person, uh, if you'll take that cup, peel back the first layer, You'll grab the bread, and then there's another layer that will get you to the juice. You can do that right now. And then before we even take communion, I just want to give you a moment. Because we're human, and we have a tendency just to kind of go through the, mo- the motions. And I want, to, I want to give you a moment just to consider what you're doing right now. Communion is a sacrament that has been given to us by God in order to remember what God has done for us. That we are all like Gomer, but he is like Hosea and he continues to pursue us. If you're here, you've been running from the Lord. As you take communion, this is a reminder that you can come back because there's still grace for you. Because even though we're unfaithful, our God is faithful. And then we also are reminded that when we take this bread, we don't do it in our closet by ourselves. We do it together as a body. And I want you to think about what Peter said here. If you are harboring sinful attitudes towards someone else in the church, now is your time to repent as we take this communion together. You confess that to the Lord and you make your prayer to be the opposite of verse one, okay? So I'm gonna give you just a, just a minute or so just to come before the Lord and just ask him to sanctify you to prepare your heart. So let's do that right now.
in 1 Corinthians 11, it says this. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, the body of Christ. Take and eat. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, the blood of Christ, take and drink. Well, if you would, bow with me and let's pray. Well, God, we, we come before you right now and we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for the truth that's in here, the truth that can set us free, the truth that can get us out of bondage from sin and can help us to get on the path of righteousness that will lead to life and purpose and significance. And so, God, I pray that right now over these people. God, would you show them once again what their purpose is and would you get them in your word and would you drive them to abide by it? God, we are so grateful that even though we are unfaithful and we turn from you too often, you continue to chase us and pursue us because that's who you are. And we rest in that. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, for those of you who joined us online, uh, you'll have a blessed week and hopefully we'll see you again next week.